How do you find and keep hope alive? This is the one hope that is greater than the greatest hurts in life. It doesn't make the hurts go away. What it does is give you something else on the other side of the scale. And it is a hope that's heavier than the hurt. Because this hope is not an idea. It's not a philosophy. It's a person. It is the son of God himself. This is what hope sounds like. Hey there, so glad you could join us today for the What Hope Sounds Like podcast. I'm Trisha, and today we are joined by our friend, Ron Hutchcraft. Ron is an author and a speaker and the president of Ron Hutchcraft Ministries. Ron, thank you so much for being here today. Trisha, I love the name of this broadcast. Hope Sounds Like, what a fantastic theme for the times we're living in. Absolutely. And Ron, I know that hope is an important concept to you and what you do. And that is why you are the perfect guest for the What Hope Sounds Like podcast, because I know you've had to learn to find hope even in some hard situations. And I'm hoping you'll tell us a little bit about that. Well, uh, let's go. How far back do you want to go? You want to go back to little boy, Ronnie? As far back as you want to share. Well, in a way, it's connected. Uh, So that would be a long time ago. Let's see. That would be, uh, I think, uh, I think uh, Teddy Roosevelt was a president or something (laughs) like, no, it's not that bad. Um, Lived on the south side of Chicago in a little apartment, Uh, mom and dad and little Ronnie. Then baby Stephen came and, uh, and I had a baby brother for six months. Until the night that my parents rushed away, unexplained, and my grandma took me to her house. I never saw my baby brother again because he never made it back up from the hospital. And doctors weren't even sure. Was it heart? Was it uh, kidneys? They weren't sure. But he died that night. I had never heard about Jesus. Jesus was never mentioned in our apartment. Um. My dad was a machinist, and even though we, he didn't have much money, there was money for, you know, some alcohol and some drinking and uh, some um, gambling. And I remember card games going on there, a big deal, and a lot of noise. Um, my dad was inconsolable, devastated. He had nowhere to turn. There was no hope. Just a baby that had been snatched from his arms. For some reason... Uh, thank God, he felt like he should take the one boy he had left and drop him off at the closest church, whatever that would be. And he did. He would sit out in the car and read his Sunday paper and smoke and wait till I came out. Well, one Sunday I came out because I had heard about how much Jesus loved me. I had, as I said, never heard anything about him. The thing that struck me was this painting, uh, and I have it up in our our living room. Uh, It's an old, famous religious painting of Jesus as a shepherd walking by a stream. Maybe you've seen it. Got a little lamb in his arms and and got the, the flock following him. And that was my first impression of Jesus. To this day, he is, in a very emotional way for me, my shepherd. And Well, I'm that little lamb in his arms. I came to know him as my savior at, at, at that time, and 
Um, I told my dad about it when I came out. I don't think he wasn't against it, but he didn't understand it. Thankfully, somebody came out finally one Sunday, invited my dad in. Saw him out there Sunday after Sunday. Didn't wait for my dad to come in. He left the walls <laughs> to go get him. Uh, and um, kind of my whole life's been outside. And, you know, I'm a church guy, but I've been reaching people outside the walls my whole life, turns out. Well, um, I got a new mommy or new daddy out of the deal within a year's time. And I will contrast that with something that happened in my life in a moment. Just let's kind of bookmark that experience where I came to know Jesus. Um, I got to marry the girl that I had to um, pursue because she took a long time to realize how awesome I <laughs> uh, And <laughs> that was quite a hard sale. Um, but uh, so I, I kind of, when we got to college and I got interested in her, I kind of followed her around, showed up where she was going to show up. I stalked her. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's it. And um, uh, so Karen is the love of my life from the time I'm 19 on. And absolutely the perfect woman for me, the most incredible, amazing, my mirror, uh, who showed me what I needed to see about myself, positive and negative, my cheerleader, uh, my uh, extremely talented woman uh, in many, many ways. And we partnered as we went into God's work together, many things, starting ministries, and she was incredible. Uh, we went to our, um, uh, it, I was in the waiting room, uh, when she was in for what was to be a routine cardiac procedure several years ago. And I heard the words code blue. I was doing some work in the waiting room. And I was like, oh, I should probably pray for whoever that is. When the doctor appeared in the doorway of the waiting room, I saw the expression. I knew it was Karen. And I thought, have I held her for the last time? The doctor and I went racing down the hall. They had found seven and a half liters of liquid, a fluid in her lungs. She was drowning, actually, and nobody knew it. Um, thank God, after several tense days in the hospital, um, God gave her back to me. Now, the first thing that happened in my mind, which was absolutely in um, a tailspin from the moment I realized it was my wife that was code blue um, was a scripture verse that came to me. It says, I know whom I have believed and I know he is able to guard what, or in this case, who I have entrusted to him. And that's all I could do. I thank God I had a savior to entrust him and trust her to but I, I've come to define hope, Tricia, as the, that day that my wife couldn't get enough oxygen. I've come to define hope as emotional oxygen. Mm. And when one of these hammer moments hits in our life, it's almost like we can't breathe emotionally. Just my, like my wife on that day. Um. 
I have almost lost the great love of my life that day. And I've thought so many times, and I did then of Romans 8.39, this is hope that says that nothing in all creation can ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I thought, as I waited in, in cardiac intensive care to see if how she and if she would recover, I thought, you know, if I had lost the great love of my life that day, I would still have the greatest love of my life, for it is the one unlosable love. I've been able to share that with many people. One love you cannot lose, guaranteed by the greatest act of love in human history. When the only son God has says, I love you so much, I will die to pay for your sin so we can be together forever. Now, fast forward. It's May, 6, May 15th, 2016. Our first grandson, first grandchild is graduating from high school. He's valedictorian. Uh, he is giving a wonderful speech to a stadium full of people, and Karen and I are thrilled. And he's talking about Jesus in that speech. I don't know if that's happened before at our high school. Uh, and um, But I had to leave that night because I had to uh, go to another state. In fact, I had to be driven by some friends through the night. I was going to sleep so I could speak the next day. And uh, so they're waiting for me. We waited till Jordan graduated. And, um, uh, and I said, honey, I love you. And I was getting ready to leave. And it was unusual because she had tears in her eyes. And I've said, we've said goodbye lots of times over the years. And uh, I, I said, what's going on? And she said, I'm really going to miss you. And I said, oh, it won't be long. That was wrong. The next afternoon, I had arrived at my destination. And after one of the greatest days of our life came the darkest day of mine. Because my son was on the phone and he said, mom's gone. It was sudden. It was in our living room. And all of a sudden, the only person that I had shared all of my adult life with, we knew all the same people, had all the same shared experiences. Um, was gone. Incomprehensible. I got a flight very quickly to get back home because uh, my family needed its dad and dad needed his family. And we met at the little airport in our town and shed a lot of tears. When I got back to the great room where normally I would see Karen's crown of glory, which was her beautiful, radiant gray hair. Um, I looked over at her recliner, the blue chair, and she wasn't there and never would be again. Someone wrote to me and said, Karen was the 
wind beneath Ron's wings. It was really true. Mm -hmm. And I felt like a lost little boy. I knew how to do life with Karen. I don't know what life is without Karen. There's no map for this. In now, I am my dad. Many years earlier, with an incalculable loss, a broken heart, broken in pieces, except for one difference. My dad had no Jesus, therefore no hope. I had my Jesus, and therefore I had hope. That hope is captured very well in a verse in Hebrews 6 and verse 19. Speaking of Jesus, it says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And with everything in my life moving like there had been a, an 8.0 quake, one thing was not moving. I had a savior. I had one that I could invite into now what was a shattered, broken heart. And when your heart is broken, it is ripped wide open. It's open in places. It's never open any other time. And I was able to invite this Jesus who, with whom I already had a relationship into the deepest parts of my heart. Where only did, what can you help us understand how you did that when everything is ripped away how do you move not to why did you do this to help me through this how, how did you find your hope in those moments oh i wouldn't have helped karen was gone so i got a why I don't have a wife. <laughs> so, you know, um, what I needed um, <clears throat> was someone strong enough to carry me because I was like a little boy who could not walk any further. I remember when I we went to the U.S. Capitol the first time and our little boy, uh, one of our sons was three years old. And he was looking up the steps of that Capitol. <laughs> it's a long climb. And, um, and, but he made it to the top because I carried him. His legs couldn't get there, but that's, I had strength he didn't have. That's such an important image. How, what were the steps that you took to let Jesus carry you during that time? Was it scripture, prayer? How did you approach the days? That's, that's a, I'm glad you asked that. Let me think about that. I'll think out loud. Um, several things, not necessarily in order of importance. Obviously, um, I cried out to him. You know, when Simon Peter was going under on the Sea of Galilee after walking on water, all he could get out was, Lord, save me. There was no profound Heavenly Father, creator of heaven and earth. I mean, it's like, save me. Um, 
And that's about what I was capable of. At least there was someone to cry to, Lord save me. I uh, started to keep a journal. And that journal was very important. Uh, it gave me a place to put my raw feelings, which I had walked through the valley of the shadow of death with a lot of people before. Wasn't me. <laughs> That's the difference. But um, I know that when you stuff grief, it becomes, it's, it then defines you. And it turns into anger and bitterness and doubt and rage and depression and all kinds of ugly things. It morphs and it grows and shakes its fist at hope. Grief has to get out. It can't be stuffed in. In Shakespeare's words, give sorrow words. So one of the places I could do that any time of the day or night was in this journal. But it was almost a conversation with Jesus, knowing he could handle my raw feelings. I don't know if anybody else could, but I knew he could handle them. And I knew he could do something with them. And one day, Tricia, I wrote these words in big, bold letters. If I had the journal, I could hold it up and show you. I said, I will not waste this grief. That was a turning point. I went on to pray, Jesus, whatever you do for people who hurt like I'm hurting, please, do. I give you wide open, my heart's wide open to you. Do whatever you do. Take me wherever you want to take me. And would you somehow use this to make me more useful to you and more helpful to other people? For the past six years, almost seven, I've been living the answer to that prayer. Now, let me tell you, I was not coherent enough to think that thought. I will not waste this grief. That was... My Jesus guiding me into a different question than why. That question often does not have an answer on earth. This one does. How could God use this? Wow. How can God use it? That's the right question to ask. And by his grace, he was helping me to ask that question. I will say as well. I um I loaded up on praise and worship music, blasted it. Thankfully, I live out in the country. <laughs> I was cared, uh, and um, and then um, because there's one place the devil will never be found, and that's in praises to Jesus. So you're kind of crowding him out with yeah. praises to Jesus. I also spent a lot of time in the twenty third Psalm which is what my dad wanted read shortly before his open heart surgery from which he would never recover. And the Lord is my shepherd take, takes me back to the beginning as a little boy. I told you it all connected. Yes. Uh, 
God weaves a tapestry with our lives, doesn't he? And those threads go all the way back to my very first impression of Jesus. And when it said, he restores my soul, I was like, oh my goodness. That's it. My soul is bullet riddled. Yes. Right before that, though, it says, he leads me beside quiet waters. So God was saying, stop running. Other people are willing to help you right now. I want you to sit still and just be with me. And so for days, um, it was almost like he was coaching me to Turn on that song. Go eat lunch now. Uh, go over and visit the Karen's grave. Uh, what I, I mean, he would tell me it was it was. I had a, almost a moment by moment coach in Jesus. And let me bottom line it this way: when I was six years old, I was that little lamb in Jesus' arms the day Karen went to heaven. Once again, I was the lamb in my shepherd's arms. Oh, Lord. Yes. And I later could contrast a man who had lost his baby, inconsolable, crushed, without hope, with a man with the greatest loss of his life, me with Jesus. That's a hope story. And I am, I can tell you this out of my brother's death, which on one hand would seem like a senseless tragedy to people. Well, the Bible tells us that we can be assured that little Stephen, he he was in heaven, a baby who couldn't make a decision about. Jesus. None of us. He was the only one in the family that would have been ready to go. Well, as a result of that, we all got ready to go. Mm -hmm. Amazingly, I've had the privilege of being involved in probably thousands of people choosing Jesus mm -hmm. because of the way God led my life. Can I share a, a private yeah. moment with you, a, a, a personal moment? Please. It was about four years ago. You were here speaking at the Cove. I don't know if you mm -hmm. remember that. And you came in and you spoke to our staff and you did a devotion. And in that devotion, you shared part of your story about what happened with Karen. And I remember sitting yeah. in that seat going, I don't understand that. I don't understand how you found hope in the middle of that tragedy. You, it seemed not easy, but it seemed that you were so confident in it. And I sat there confused. And a few weeks later, my mother died in a tragic car accident. One day, one Friday, she stayed at my house, she and my dad, and got a phone call that changed everything. She died within the next two days. And I thought about your story 
so many times because I was going through it. And I thought about what you said and how you found hope through Jesus and how you've got to lean on the good shepherd and how you can't do it on your own and how Jesus will be there. And I remember you, you saying some of those things in that devotion and they picked me up out of my moments of inconsolable grief. And along with all the different things that God did to prepare me for that, your story was very impactful for me. And through my own journey of grief, loss, tragedy, unimaginable pain, God used your story to help me have my own story. And I've been able to share it on this radio station. And so when I got the opportunity to speak with you here, I just wanted to publicly thank you and tell you that God used you in my life. And then I, I pray that God is not wasting my pain and that God has used my story and that every one of our stories of God picking us up and carrying us when we can't go on our own is the hope that the only hope that exists, the hope that carries every one of us through. And so you are part of my story and I'm just thankful for that. And I, I wanted you to know that. You know, isn't it interesting that God said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it says he's the God of all comfort, the Father of all compassion. It says that he comforts us in our troubles. Not just so we can be comfortable. It says he comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others with the comfort he comforted us with. That chain has gone on for 2,000 years. And... I would, I would say this to whoever's with us right now, watching and listening. Uh, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you have a hope story. Now, yours is different, but I can tell you that because of what I can share about my Jesus, because of my loss, and other losses in my life. Um, people will listen in a way that they would not normally listen. Listen, we're in a we're in a time when more and more doors are closing to presenting Jesus. More hearts are getting hard and don't want to hear it. And how dare you try to change my beliefs? And I'm okay, you know, and you're okay, and you just believe your truth and. I have my truth. So how do we share Jesus? Well, think about if you had been the machinist next to my dad back those days ago, or long years ago, and my dad had no hope, and you did. You knew where hope was, but you never told him. You know, it could have been a totally different story for my dad. Now, thank God he still was rescued, but um, <clears throat> 1 Peter 3 says that what we have to offer people is be ready to tell them about the hope you have, not the beliefs, not the church you have, not the religion you have, not the things you can't do because you're a Christian. <laughs> no, you what you have is you have hope. You have emotional oxygen. 
in a world that's gasping for air. And so if you will, first of all, think about what your hope story is. I found, uh, Tricia, that uh, I had never been in a hospital in my life. I've been just great until something happened to my shoulder. This was after Karen was gone and it went boing and it was shot and I needed to have surgery. Now, I will not tell you how it had happened that I only have two shoulders, but I had four shoulder surgeries. Uh, Something wrong in this picture, but that's, you don't need to hear my little, all my medical stories. So boy, I was in the hospital plenty, but I found out why. Because of the doctor and what he was going through without a savior. Because of the people at physical therapy that I had. I I was their eternal patient. I kept coming back. (laughs) And being out to lunch with my doctor and my therapist and, and different people. And you know, when you tell them your story, people can't argue. They can argue with your beliefs. Like when that blind man said, once I was blind, now I can see. The Pharisees weren't too happy because it was on the Sabbath day. They didn't want to hear any good news about Jesus. But he's like, if he said, "I once I was blind. No, you're not. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I never saw you before, guys. <laughs> I can see. Okay, can't argue with it. He was blind. Mm-hmm. He can't see. Mm-hmm. Then he goes, look, I don't know all the beliefs. All I know is this. In between Jesus, you figure it out. So all of us, there are things in our life that are different because Jesus is there than if they, he wasn't there. Take Jesus out of your story. Tell me about your lonely times. Tell me about your stressful times. Tell me about the bad news days. Tell me about the bad news from the doctor. Tell me about that phone call that you've lost someone you love. There's no Jesus. That's the that's your hope story is the difference he makes. Uh, someone right now who's with us is is living proof that Jesus can change an angry person. Someone else is living proof that Jesus can change a, a, a control freak. Somebody else can, Jesus is living proof Jesus can change an addicted person. Somebody else is living proof that Jesus can change a mom, a dad, a husband, a wife. That he makes the, the, the funeral, the funeral is different because of Jesus. The bad news from the doctor is different because of Jesus. That's your old story. And since it's first person, if I'm listening to it, I don't have to be defensive. There's no argument here. You're telling your story. But what you do is you weave his story into your story and explain that how you discovering that your biggest issue was the fact that God was missing, you were missing a relationship with him that you were made for. And it wasn't God's fault. I discovered it was my fault because I had hijacked my life from my creator and said, you run the universe and I'll do me. And consequently, I was away from him with a death penalty for rebelling against my creator. And I found out that Jesus had come and that was possible because of what Jesus did on a cross and because he walked out of his grave after that. I found out it was possible to actually have this kind of a relationship with God, a heart-to-heart love relationship. 
that changes everything. And I was able to share that. And no one was defensive. No one argued. Who could argue with my hope story? And I just made the gospel part of my hope story. It was a first-person account. And people are ready for that. People are open to that. So you already have what you need to help somebody know you're Jesus. You have your story. And, and Psalm 107 verse 2 says, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Let's make that a battle cry. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. And as I stood, Trish, as I stood next to Karen's grave that day, that fresh grave, There's a verse in 1 Peter that describes the difference this, uh, this hope is. This is not wishful thinking. This is not a, 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 a Hallmark card, you know, sentimental uh, verse. It says, we have a living hope. My hope is a person. Hope has a name. His name is Jesus. Yeah. And he is he has conquered the greatest monster in life. He has conquered death. So what is there that I cannot go through with that living hope, Jesus? And as I stood next to that grave, we had a lot of because I work with Native Americans, we had a lot of Native Americans, four of her pallbearers were Native men. And we kind of did it the native way. And that is we threw handfuls of dirt in the grave and were there all the way through, not just driving away, uh, uh, you know, before it's all done. I did the last handful. And spontaneously, I simply said, see you soon, baby. See you soon. And I knew I will because of who was standing next to me there. My living hope, Jesus. The death conqueror. Mm -hmm. Giving me that hope. Oh, that's what hope sounds like. You know, I just want to say, if anybody is watching right now and you don't have that relationship with Jesus, you don't, you don't know the living hope, the hope that satisfies, the hope that gets us through everything. One thing you can do right now is text Jesus to 800-293-1069. It's not a magic formula there. It will send you a link to Billy Graham's Peace with God so you can learn more. Make sure you have that relationship firm with the Lord Jesus. Just text Jesus to 800 800- 293-1069 so you can find that hope and you can pray right now and just ask Jesus to come into your heart just admit you're a sinner say you believe in Jesus confess and then make him the lord of your life that's all that's that's what you need to do to find that hope but this has just been so powerful and Ron I just want to say this you and your ministry are launching a, a group study on sharing hope on sharing your hope story. Is that right? 
Can you can you tell us about that? Just so if someone's like, I want to be part of that, I want to learn a little bit more through your study. Well, and two things here. One is, yeah, this will be called Your Hope Story. That's the name of the series. It'll be a six-week um, uh, small group experience where people can gain confidence one week at a time. There'll be kind of a an assignment each week that goes with that. Come back and talk about how it went. And so we're in a group together in an area where it's scary, but we'll be in the scary area. And I think it won't be, it'll be a whole lot less scary by the end of that time. We're in production of it now. It's not available yet, but it will be about June. And, uh, and, I, and, and I would encourage people to, uh, you can go to hutchcraft.com and stay in, in touch with those kinds of things. But uh, I'm going to be at um, right at the Cove. Very yeah. I, I wait till spring to come, <laughs> <laughs> like a migratory bird. Uh, <laughs> April 24 to 26, and um, I think it's this will be the fourth time actually that they've asked me to talk about because God's really just seemed to touch a lot of people where they needed to be touched. It's called Hope When Your Heart is Breaking. That's the name of the book that I wrote that came out just a year ago. Um, that has a, a, It's all about the choices we make after a major loss. Uh, not just losing a loved one, but uh, whether it's in our marriage or whether it's a, a wandering child or whether it's bad news from the doctor or something happened to us a long time ago in our past that we've never really dealt with. Um, that that all will be in this hope when your heart is breaking. So I'd invite people to check out the Cove website and uh, that's thecove.org. Thecove.org is how you thank you sign up and and get registered. And I I would really uh, uh, just come back around and say what Trisha said to you about um, going to that website and or just talking to Jesus right now. Uh, this no accident. If if you've never begun a relationship with this Jesus, don't do another day without him. This is the one love you can't lose. This is the one hope that is greater than the greatest hurts in life. It doesn't make the hurts go away. What it does is give you something else on the other side of the scale. And it is a hope that's heavier than the hurt. And will sustain you and will carry you because this hope is not an idea. It's not a philosophy. It's a person. It is the son of God himself with whom you can have a personal love relationship. When does that start? That's in your hands. And you could begin it today by saying, Jesus, I'm yours. God had an appointment with you today. You didn't know about and this is this is no accident. Well, don't pass this up. The Bible puts it this way: Call upon the Lord while He is near. He is right now. Call upon Him. You may have awakened this morning with no Savior and no lasting hope. You go to sleep tonight with the one who is the living hope, the death conqueror, the savior, the greatest love you could ever experience, Jesus. Let me tell you, 
the one safe place in an increasingly unsafe world is to be that little lamb in his arms. Oh, thank you, Ron. Thank you for taking this time. Thank you for sharing your hope story and encouraging us to share ours. Thank you for reminding us how desperately we need Jesus on our worst day and on our best day and on every day in between. And we are just so grateful for what you do in your ministry and we will be praying for you. So thank you so much for speaking today. Thank you, Tricia. And thank you for opening your heart so much today too. That touched me. Thank you. Absolutely. And thank you for being a part of the What Hope Sounds Like podcast. We love you and we'll talk to you again soon.